Listen, I do stuff. Yeah, Chris does stuff. Listener, Chris does stuff. <laughs> Stop saying I don't do stuff. Welcome to the Dream Studios podcast. You've come back. I'm your host, Hogue. I'm the mixing engineer and recording engineer here at The Dream in South Austin, Texas. Today, my guests are Matt Reed and Chris McQueen. Let me introduce them. They are two guitar players, and they are exceptional guitar players. I'm pretty sure they both went to music school. We'll find that out in a little bit. Uh, They've played as hired guns for countless artists, done lots of session work. With their project Reed McQueen, they record and perform as an acoustic duo, exploring various styles and time signatures and feels. And all I can say is, it is a real treat to listen to, everybody. And you're going to get a taste of some of their tunes here in a second. Uh, They're also a real treat to watch. Perhaps you've heard the term economy of movement. It's sometimes used to describe particularly fluid instrumentalists. And these two have economy of movement. It barely looks like their fingers are moving when you watch them play their songs. It looks like time has slowed down or something. Like a baseball player, uh, when the pitch is coming in, it looks like a watermelon when they're really in the zone. But their technical proficiency is only half of the equation. Sometimes missing with technical players is a, is a depth of feeling. Not so with these two. These two can play clean and with, with what? With soul, depth, humor sometimes, whimsy, all of it. They came into the dream to record an album after Chris was in here tracking guitars for a fella named Reed Umstad a year or so ago who recorded his album Pockets of Clouds here. Reed will be a guest in the future. Uh, And Matt actually plays live with Reed, so that's how we all met. The name of their album is... Fellas, I'm not even sure. what. We'll find out the name of the album. So anyway, let's listen to a sample of a song from their work here at The Dream. This is a bit of a song called Etude Number 2. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Etude correctly, but that'll have to do. Take a listen. is good stuff. Gentlemen, welcome to the Dream Studios podcast. Please say hello and identify yourselves <laughs> and also identify the name of your album. Uh, uh, hello, uh, this is Chris McQueen and we don't know the name of the album yet. <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Hi, Chris. This is Matt Reed. and um, Hello, Matt. We might go with Reed McQueen if you're listening to this and... It's that's the one we've landed on as far as now. Yeah, so we're thinking maybe Reed McQueen slash Reed McQueen. Yeah, Reed slash McQueen space 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 Reed slash McQueen. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Okay, cool, good. Unless you have something better, maybe this podcast we can come up with something better through the course of the evening. Oh, I'm certain that yeah. we'll find it we'll, uh, we'll another something. title, but whether or not it's a better one <laughs> is up for debate. Can keep a, a running list going. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you guys for being here. I 
I told the listeners in the intro how how I met you guys, but how do you two know each other? To what do we owe this mm. uh, ridiculous <laughs> supergroup of Austin guitarists? So we we both went to to North Texas, yeah, we University to... of North Texas, and you were correct. We both are schooled. Weirdly enough, um, so I'm from Austin, but you moved to Austin. Yeah, I lived in San Diego for three years after college. And then I wanted to study with a couple guitar teachers at Berkeley in Boston. So I went to Boston for a year in 2009. Very fancy. And then I moved to Austin in 2010. And I think we ended up pretty much meeting through a church gig. I think it was. I think it was. But we had fun together. And Matt played acoustic guitar and I played electric guitar. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I basically just used a wall of U2 style reverb for everything because <laughs> that's what you, dotted dotted eighth delay patch that goes to infinity. Um, but Matt had like this super beautiful acoustic guitar sound, um, and that was sort of my first introduction or my first real introduction to to you as a musician was hearing you play this like beautiful acoustic guitar sound in the weirdest of environments where it did not belong. <laughs> Thank you. And Thank then you, I sir. think, likewise, after like maybe a year or so of that, like I feel like at some point you were just were like, hey, you should come over and jam. I had had some songs, like parts of songs that I wrote while at at Berkeley on acoustic guitar, and then um, we're lucky we have a group of of guitar player friends in Austin, some of the best guitar players I've ever heard, and you know. But to have a chemistry with somebody on a musical level, writing is, is a different thing. So, yeah, I think we did it. It is sort of rare to find a musician who you write well with because it can be a really personal thing. And sometimes it's kind of weird to write music in front of other people. Um, you just kind of have because, you, you know, you like come up with an idea and maybe you hate it at first, but then you work on it for a while. So it's a little embarrassing at first if you're like, maybe we could do this. You know, you're afraid the other person's going to think it sounds dumb or, or whatever. But yeah, it seemed like we, we have a good way of completing uh, each other's sentences. Yes. Thank oh, you. Oh, shit. That was awesome. <laughs> High five. Yeah. So you two have obviously both put in your 10 billion hours of <laughs> practice uh, and exhibit a mastery of your instrument. I think it would be fun to hear each of you describe the other in terms of their playing style and approach and whatnot. Um, I I remember a (laughs) funny thing that happened during the sessions when we were listening back to, you know, you guys would track and then come in and make sure you had like the, the, the head of the tune squared away and recorded well. And then you would do, make sure that you had the solos. And so you'd come in and listen to solos. And there was one time where, uh, Chris's solo was playing back. I know, and I know what you're you know what I'm going. <laughs> and Reed was like, Matt was like, um, that was a really that was a really good solo. Maybe there's another take of it where it's it's a little more tighter and more precise. And Chris just goes, Well, I think that. But everyone was being so polite. And Chris was like, Well, I think the listener gets that stuff from you. So maybe I can be a little dirtier. And I was like, Wow, if that doesn't say, that's great what needs to be said about you two, but um, <laughs> I want you guys to fill in the blanks. So maybe let's start with, with Chris. Um, give a, you know, describe Matt's style and his playing approach. Well, yeah, I do. I guess like, it's funny because there's different ways of listening to music and I do try to listen to music from as much as possible from an outside perspective. So I think in that moment, I'm like trying to use the part of my brain that's like, what if I'm a listener who's never heard of us before, who doesn't really like play guitar? Because I feel like 
it's kind of a given that if you play guitar on a relatively serious level, then you're going to get what we're doing and think, you know, if, if someone will think it's cool, it's that kind of person. So, uh, you know, then there's a part of my brain that's like, okay, what if it's someone who either doesn't play guitar or they play a different kind of guitar or, you know, they're just not an instrumentalist person. What would they get out of this? So, yeah, I guess that's kind of my thinking. It's like, all right, well, we want to have some different flavors in there. Like what comes to mind is um, like the Miles Davis quintet for some reason. Oh, uh, yeah. Like I remember I had some, you know, random story about Miles talking about how, you know, people like to watch Coltrane move his fingers and that's sort of like a thing where it's like Miles plays like three notes. Oops, I touched the stand. I'm very sorry. <laughs> Start over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Miles, Miles will play like three notes and then Coltrane will play like a thousand notes. And it kind of makes sense why that music is so listenable because you don't get one thing the whole time. You get a variety of things. So that's kind of where, you know, it's. I think it came out weird because I was basically like, you sound good and I sound sloppy. But um, right, and dude, I didn't mean to say like Chris is the sloppy one. Yeah, Matt's the t- but it's kind of true. It though. was, but it was like you know, in some ways, it was a little. It was intentional. And yeah, that's what you I were mean, doing. You maybe were doing it's a thing. intentional, and maybe that's a way of justifying not being as good at the guitar. <laughs> but yeah, I think that um, Matt's approach to the guitar is like incredibly clean. Like I feel like we're we're both coming to the same place in the middle. But he's like I think that he definitely is like extremely clean when he plays like every single note is going to be beautiful which is probably what a person should do and i'm just like coming from like acoustic guitar is pretty new for me in my life like only the last couple of years have i really taken it seriously and you know i kind of came from like at the the like the lizard brain inside of me is like a nirvana kid <laughs> so like i mean i know you've got your rock background too so we can d- discuss the that the differences between that i guess but like just specifically like the I don't give a damn I'm just gonna play whatever I'm gonna play noise and whatever like a lot of the other guitar that I play in my life is very different and not that clean so I try you know I think that like try to be clean (laughs) when when we do our thing because it kind of has to be for it to work Mm -hmm. but um but yeah that's (laughs) you now you talk (laughs) oh um (laughs) yeah I, I was I was thinking about this actually one, well, the thing, well, thing I like about Chris is playing. So I have, I, it's funny because I, we didn't know each other, like I said, at UNT, but we had a mutual friend named uh, Jiro, a uh, great guitar player from Japan, and he came to study there. Jiro had a bootleg recording. He basically had, this was the time when you carried around an MP or a uh, mini yeah, disc. Yeah, you, you had like the mini disc with like the little cool oh Sony mic and stuff. Yeah. And, the little, and I had one. You took them to the, the clinics all the time. Uh, if there was a, you know, clinician came in, you know, everybody had their mic set up on the, in the lecture hall. So I went over to Jiro's one night and he was like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta listen to this. So it was like you and I guess it was you and probably Russell playing together. I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, a lot of the things that guitar players, I think miss a little bit sometimes is, especially in jazz school is there's like a little bit too much emphasis put on uh, playing the changes or playing outside or sounding cool, but they miss the having good time and having a good sound. And when I heard this recording of Chris, I was like, yeah, I think it was like, you were playing all the things you are or something. And it was like, not only hitting all the changes, but like the, the time was awesome. The feel was awesome, but he did have a little of that kind of rough around the edges sound, like not like a Matheny or like a, it's more like, you know, and, and just a little bit more gritty, you know. 
And uh, I, I liked I liked that. Um, and then I, I also think Chris generally plays. He it's like he has an extra note than I do. <laughs> <laughs> all the time like i might be playing with like seven or eight and he's 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 always got like a ninth note that he Ooh. throws in there like on the, if we're soloing on the same tune it's like i feel like you uh yeah. find the weird notes yeah i think you, you I, I like to find weird notes you, you have the, the there was some the, extra the weird cool notes. surprise note there's some extra weird notes that hogue really wanted to put into yeah, the, the right. record that we did not let it happen i was gonna say this is <sighs> what a perfect segue to that story about yeah where you all were like, okay, well, that we're not going to use that one. And I was like, that's the best one yeah. because because and we were talking again about one of Chris trying to choose one of Chris's solos, and it was like it was a really weird note. It kind of went off the rails <laughs> for just one second, and I was like, I like the wrong note, and you're like, it's not, it's just a note, it's not a wrong note. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're, the way you think of notes is just they're all just notes. Oh. Uh, that might be um, bullshitting. That sounds like I was playing wrong note. <laughs> I mean, but like maybe it was a joke, but um. Yeah, I see what you're I, saying, Matt. I think that I I'm, I I I tend to play. I had a really uh, good mentor, uh, this guy Bernard Wright, who is a keyboard player, and he has this saying that is you should play. I think it's like it's something along the lines of like ten percent under your chops, so that you're like completely in control. I think that I unfortunately I do like the opposite, where I tend to play like ten percent over my chops, where like. I just always want it to be interesting and cooler than more interesting and cooler than what I'm actually physically capable of doing. So like, which is not the worst problem in the world because it means that some interesting things come out, but then like I do drop the ball more often than I should or like I'm going for something and it just doesn't come out. Like, I think we've talked about this before and I think that you tend to like, you're always like a master of what you're playing, which is, which is pretty (laughs) much ideal. I mean, the ideal is that you like, complain insane stuff and never drop you know never drop the ball like you're always in charge of it and they're you know the best of the best can do that but like i think the for you know generally speaking everyone's kind of coming at that goal from a different perspective and maybe we just have different starting points for what we like prioritize Mm. subconsciously Yeah. yeah i think i think i've always been like very very picky about tone and very picky about like timing and stuff and yeah and and yeah that that's such a uh i was just listening to another uh i don't know it wasn't a podcast it was like a zoom recording with like this guitar player uh brian sutton he's like one of the best acoustic guitar session guys in nashville and played with a uh, ricky skaggs and a bunch of great players and then he uh, chris eldridge was on there from the punch brothers and they were talking about just this, like the balance of staying kind of in your, in your comfort zone versus going for stuff. And, um, the sense of sort of, uh, um, how it's such a mind game, you know, you, you almost need like such a sense of poise. So like when you're going for something to not drop the ball, like there, cause there's a mind mm-hmm. thing that can uh, like make you drop the ball a lot easier than if you don't freak out and you, you might land it yeah. if you don't if you don't psych yourself out. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Sorry, I was just thinking like, and maybe that's like the Bernard Wright thing about playing under your chops. Maybe it's not so much about restricting yourself; it's more about the mentality of being in control. Where if you main if you have the mentality of like, as you're playing, my chops are here and I'm under here, being the master of it. 
then it doesn't feel like, cause I think that I tend to think about that like, as like, well, I don't want to like keep myself from doing something cool, mm-hmm. but maybe it's more about that, like calm under pressure. When I was first getting into jazz in high school, it's like a sophomore year. I went to a, a jazz camp down in Philadelphia at the university of the arts and immediately intimidating. There was guys that were playing drums that were just running circles around me. and was, you know, my same age. And this terrifying exercise was like a group of 10 of us and our teacher for the week just had us each solo in succession. And I was like, I hate this. I want to go home and play Green Day. But um, and then all these guys are just like they're filthy and they're they're 14 and they're going through all this stuff. But they're pretty much all doing the same thing. And they're just playing fast and doing all their chops. And now it wasn't my intention. It wasn't like I was like, I'm not going to use chops on this solo. I didn't have any. But I was like, okay, well, the only thing I can do is something kind of funny. So, like, all these guys are doing this fast shit, and my my bar of 16 or 8 or whatever comes around, and I go, I was like, ka tu tu boom 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 ka tu tu boom boom I was like, something really stupid. But the guy comes up, he's like, all right. After everybody's solo, he's like, all right. You have no chops. But they all sound the same. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I got one on them. Yeah. But, you know. No, and that that actually, I feel like that's exactly where my mind is when it, I mean, it is kind of a, it's hard to know if it's a justification in one way or another, but it is sort of like my thinking of like, okay, well, if I can't play something super clean and and fast and beautiful, then like, I at least want to make it memorable. So I think that's where like subconsciously I tend to go where I'm like, okay, well, whatever I do, it's going to be memorable. And in that, like you were saying, you played something really simple, but even what you just saying there was like, it had a phrasing to it. So it's not just like, it's not just some whatever. It's like something memorable and interesting. Right. That it does seem like no matter who you are, no matter what level of musician you are, it's still enjoyable. And you appreciate that when you hear something like that, that's just like, oh yeah, that feels good. It sounds good. It's memorable. So I think one of the things I felt, I don't know if you felt this Chris in the recording when we process, but um, because we had rehearsed and played the song so many times up till, um, I think that's where you like the balance of, of a record a recording is like, you do want to go for stuff, but it's almost like you're, you're trying to, um, not impress yourself, but surprise yourself a little bit. So like you can, right. when you listen back, you're like, Oh, that, that was a special one because I never did that before. Or like, right. Which is an interesting thing because I don't know how that necessarily translates to the listener if they're hearing you for the first time it's like mm-hmm. you, you might just be able to do your thing and true i guess i would think that there's some level of like that carries through where there's an energy that that people feel mm-hmm. but i guess that's yeah maybe that's wishful thinking i don't know but i think as you know we we tend to think that when we like think about records that have like a mystique to them there's like something that got captured that wasn't just them coming in and like doing their thing and then leaving right yeah a lot of a lot of bands well and like the band i've been in but a lot of bands that come in here also it's a much different ball game like when you guys were in here there was a lot there was breathability you guys were going for different approaches between takes especially under solo sections whereas a lot of people come in here and they the song's already written and there's not a lot of improvisation but this True. was about cat, capturing hmm. improvisation and that was the first project that 
has been in here that's done that. It was really oh, cool to cool. watch. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you're playing, if you're doing a rock or pop album, it is just sort of like get the sounds, and mm-hmm. it maybe you're hoping to get the magic and the like spontaneity through the through that through the process of finding the sounds and developing the parts. But yeah, there really isn't that like actual improvisation. Yeah. Happens. Yeah. Um, which leads me to my next question: uh, How? Talk a little bit about how the songs were created. Is there a is there a primary songwriter? Is there notation involved? Was there passing demos back and forth? How do you how do you do all that? Yeah. So we 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 pretty much write in person. There are a couple of these songs that started as well. I guess most of the songs start with one or the other of us, and then the other person like we kind of like take it to a certain point. We're like, oh, that seems like a cool idea. This could be a song. And then we get together usually once every week or two and um, rehearse slash write. So, yeah, like basically, you know, whoever one of us has an idea for a song shows it to the other one. And then we see if we if something comes to mind and if we can write from there. And then we spend like, you know, an hour or so with seeing how far we can get. And usually we just like maybe we don't really finish the song. We kind of like work on several different things that it could do and then maybe push it along to like another get another section written it's kind of a long process like we you kind of like see how far you can get it mentally in one session and then like you're like okay let's sit on this and then next time we'll play it again and see what happens but um but it's very collaborative and a lot of the times it'll be like if you'll hear if you hear one of us starting the song generally speaking that's the person who wrote it i mean i want to say most Mm -hmm. of them are mad matt's initial idea and then i put something on top of it yeah so if you listen to etude the the first section what i I wrote as like a literal etude just to practice something and make it sound uh you know i was working on open voice triads and (laughs) not to get too nerdy but no let's get nerdy (laughs) and i and I, i like to write like those kind of things and make an etude out of it so it's sound it's something that i'll keep wanting to practice because it sounds cool to me and then can you just pause for a second for the Mm. for the non-musician people can you is there a way to explain a a open voice triad to someone who might not know um so um if you think of a, a piano keyboard and you play like a c triad so like c e and g so it'd be the one the three and the five of the major scale of the key that you're in you play a white note and you skip a white note and then you play a white note and yep. then you skip a white exactly note and then you play yeah. a white note. every other so you oh, could okay. use you could use your first three <laughs> index middle and ring finger and just skip a key in between and you got a, a triad all right um, okay, and ring wow. <laughs> that's a that's oh do you thumb i see i'm not even a piano player it's probably it's probably thumb index pinky or something i don't know um <laughs> but go on sorry to throw you off yeah so if you if you take the middle note and raise it up an octave the 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 range gets wider sounding you have like that's the open part that's the open so the other one is closed yeah closed voice triad or an open voice triad so on the guitar it sounds really cool um it's it's something i think you do hear like people do in uh you know, pop music, rock, you know, I mean, like, that's kind of true. I'm, some people do it inadvertently, I think. I mean, I don't know if they're, but it would be like the chord progression would be 
the same three or four chords that are in every pop song, whereas this etude kind of goes all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know what you're saying. Yeah, like a lot of pop songs are that sort of open, like like a lot of synth like, sounds like, are just like one and three. Yeah, or like, like up an octave. Like Blackbird uses like open voice triads in a oh, sense. Oh yeah, totally. So or like oh, good example. That's a great or, example. Or like yeah. you know. Dave Matthews or something like Dave. Old Dave used to just, but I mean, he always had like an Dave. open string ringing. <laughs> um, yeah. So those are fun to practice on the guitar and they make the guitar sound a little bit more orchestral in a sense, like not so, you know, you kind of have a bass note and a middle note and a higher note, um, spanning usually like four strings or so. Yeah. So those are fun to practice. So I wrote that first section and then sent it to Chris. Uh, that was one where, you know, some of our songs, we need to take them home and just like sit with them on our own and stuff. So I remember yeah. sending that to him and then spent, a, spent yeah. a, a day or two. Yeah, that one I had to get pretty specific. You're asking about writing out music and we we pretty much never write it out. But that one I did end up having to do that. Like I kind of did it by ear-ish. And then as I went along, because it's very specific, I need to make sure that like every note's hitting correctly. It's like quasi-classical. So mm -hmm. I did like go through and kind of write it out and figure out what notes were going to align well. Yeah. So then he wrote that his part to that, which was, which was killer. And then I think took a little while, wrote a B section after that. Mm -hmm. And then again, sent it to you. He wrote like a ridiculous part. His parts, his B, your part's a lot harder than mine on the B section. So you wrote, <laughs> so you wrote the A sections, Matt and Chris, did you write the well, it was like he wrote his part for the A section, and then I wrote my part on top. Right. And then he wrote his part for the B section, and then I wrote my part on top of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you think about um, the the song, ES, we're calling it, mm -hmm. that one was really collaborative. Yeah. And that, yeah. But that one also took the longest, I feel like. Let's play a little yeah. bit of ES right here. Cool. Yeah, that's a good one. There's a lot going on in, in that song, time signature-wise, and between major and minor, right? Doesn't it go dip mm -hmm. down into a minor? Mm -hmm. uh, go forth and speak of this tune. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, I do remember this one, like you were saying about sending demos back and forth, and there have been some times where that's happened. Like this one, I'm pretty sure you just had this idea, like that intro for the song, mm -hmm. and you sent that to me. You're like, this is cool. Let me know if you hear anything on it. And I think I 
basically came up with that melody mm-hmm. kind of like right away. And then for a while, that's all we had. Like yeah, for a few months, I think. Pretty much had, like we got together and we played it. We were like, yeah, this sounds cool. What do we do next? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So then, um, yeah, I think eventually. I think, I think then I, you wrote. I think I came the, up with the next, the minor bit. Like, I mean, now it seems sort of obvious, but basically just like same-ish thing that you're doing, but it's in minor instead of major. And then just kind of letting that go where it wanted to go. Um, and um, yeah, which is, which is kind of cool because he's like, we, we do this thing fairly frequently where we kind of do like a, a handoff or like I'll be playing the mel- the melody and he's playing the chords. And then like, we kind of as seamlessly as possible switch roles. And, uh, and that's one of those situations cause he's playing this pattern on the made, you know, D major. And then as soon as the next section hits, I take over in D minor and playing like a similar pattern and he plays the melody, which I think is hopefully a cool thing. That is very cool. I didn't know that you... Oh, thank you... you. I'm so glad you think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that you guys did did a handoff there between that major section, the first part, and then the second part where it goes minor. Yeah. And yeah. that's... I mean, if that's not a metaphor for the whole Reed McQueen situation, I don't know what is. So let's go back and listen to that handoff on ES that we that we just listened to, but let's highlight it here, and I'll talk over it to tell you where it is. Okay, so here, Chris is on the left playing the lead, and Matt is on the right playing the theme. And now, here comes the handoff. And they switch roles. Now Matt is playing lead stuff on the right, and Chris is playing theme stuff on the left in support. Yeah, I mean, I guess in a way it's kind of a downside if you don't even, if the listener doesn't necessarily know. I mean, it's a good and bad thing if they don't, if you don't realize. But hopefully, like, if you're watching this live, then it's like, yeah. oh, right, we'll, true. We'll listen to the awesome Hogue panning. You yeah. guys will know who's on the right, who's on the left. Yeah, I mean, if you're paying attention to my awesome panning, <laughs> yeah. it will be clear. Yeah, we talked about the pan. Yeah. We talked about the pan. We're not doing Trump impressions anymore, though, folks. We're not talking about the album with the Trump voice. <laughs> I told myself I wouldn't. Um, but it's so good. It's so good. But yeah, good point, uh, Matt. If you're listening to their album, you will hear Chris on the left-ish, mm-hmm. you know. It is a stereophonic record. It's a stereophonic record. And uh, Chris is on the left and Matt's on the right. Um, yeah, so there's a section of seven. There's a section of five. Mm. And that just kind of happened naturally, I'm guessing, right? I think that five thing was something I had separate of this song for a while, like a little while. And then we just threw it in there. You have no recollection of where that came from. I feel like sometimes like when we're writing, it tends to be like, it could be cool if it does this Mm -hmm. and then we'll play something. And then you sort of, you know, listen to it in your brain and play through it and you know how writing goes. I feel like that was one of those things, like, I I mean, maybe you did have that from something else. I don't remember. I remember it just being like in the moment, moment. maybe this would be cool. There's like a big drop off and then, and then I play this and then it builds and, um, but yeah, I don't, it definitely wasn't like, okay, now we should go to five. Oh no. I don't, I didn't even realize it was in five. I didn't. It wasn't a thing that I really thought. I probably realized at first and then like completely forgot until we started recording it. Yeah. I didn't realize either when we were tracking until the you know, third or fourth take. I was like, oh, cool. We went to five. Righteous. <laughs> Sweet. But, uh, and and yeah. also, just before we get too, too far into this, because presumably some of our listeners will not be 
uh, musicians. I'm just going to play a little bit of the seven section. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's go with Matt. Why don't you just, can you describe what, what that means, a, a section that's in seven? Mm-hmm. With the music on or without? Um, without the music, and then I'll cut to the Oh, okay. The song. Um, well, no, I can, I can put it on. No, that would be difficult. So let me just put it on over my phone here. So okay, here, yeah, I'll just count it out. I'll play the intro of ES. Okay. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Count with me, folks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. seven. You know what I hate about counting seven, by the way? Seven that, has two syllables? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, then, but then you can do the dumb joke about, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven. Yeah. But seven is seven. So, yeah, uh, if you're... If, you're not a musician out there and didn't know what seven was that's what seven most music you hear on the radio will have you know four or eight depending on how you're counting but but es has seven yeah Mm -hmm. and now we're going to go to the section that has five five okay so let me hunt that down one two three four five 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 one two three One, two, three, four, five. But I guess also maybe worth mentioning for, um, you know, for anyone that doesn't play this sort of stuff, like the reason why I think that we don't necessarily think to ourselves like oh it's in five is because it's more of a felt thing mm-hmm. yeah and yeah, i yeah. tend to think of things as like groups of three and two which i'm sure you guys do too so it's yeah, like exactly. you know, dig-a, 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 one two one two three one two one two dig-a, dig-a, yeah and i feel like that's something that everyone can kind of feel even if you don't know what it is that you're feeling mm-hmm. exactly like five i sometimes think of as two with a short and long like dun 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 you know yeah exactly um yeah. So it's not always counting those those little notes, those eighth eighth notes. Right. Um, I wonder. I bet that I bet that was really cool for people who don't <laughs> know about that shit. Did you guys think it was cool? Let us know in the comments. Yeah. 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 Tweet us. Shit. I better make a Twitter. <laughs> and, and if you, um, if you, yeah. Now, if you, I don't know if you'll notice this, but most, uh, I don't know. We have a lot of songs in three. In this, in this album. And I feel like that's another felt thing where, for whatever reason, I tend to write in three a lot. I don't know. Just sit down and play. It's usually in three. So if you listen, like, um, yeah, etude, yeah. flow. flow. And some of them yeah. are in like six. Some are in which six. Which is kind of like just two groups of three, but sometimes can be different. Like the cool thing about six or 12 is that you can break it up into like different subdivisions. So it could be like, two groups of three and three groups of two. So I think uh, like, I think that's part of why we tend to write in those time fields is because they leave a lot of room for like rhythmic fun times, <laughs> which when you're playing two acoustic guitars, like you kind of, you got to use all the tools at your disposal because you know, you can't do the, this is the song where we turn our distortion pedals on. Wait, and that's guys, the thing about it. which brings what up if you call a... the album rhythmic fun times. I was just going to say, that's the name of your next bit. <laughs> 
Yeah. Rhythmic fun times. Rhythmic fun times. Ding, ding, ding. But seriously, file that away. You might want to use it. Hey, um, it's not the worst. Yeah, but there's, there's at least three or four in three on the, on the album. So yeah, yeah. There's a, it's you know actually one of the one of the other questions. It's just it's just flowing tonight. Oh, yeah. oh, so that's good. We have a song called Flow. We have a song called Flow. So we were going to name the album Flow, but then when you put that on the front of an album cover, you start to think about other things. And yeah, it doesn't, def- yeah. doesn't work that well. Definitely. Good flow. Um, <laughs> this, I'll just read this, this question verbatim on my notepad here. There's a pretty wide spectrum of styles to your music. Which is an achievement for... No, that's not how I'm going to do it. Uh, there's a pretty wide spectrum of styles to your music, which is an achievement for something that, arrangement-wise, is always going to be just two acoustic guitars. Mm. Yeah. I'm not making this sound very natural, but the point is, <laughs> you, you guys manage to avoid like sameness between your songs by switching up feels a lot, switching up, um, like we were just talking about, time signatures. You can have something that... like. Etude, which is very, and I'm going to say formal, but that does not mean joyless. Um, <laughs> not. Well, I wasn't going to think that until you said it. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, then, like, you know, we were just talking about flow a little bit, which is more of like a rollicking 6 8 uh, swingy feel mm-hmm. with like all these really fun solos and whatnot. And we'll play a little bit of flow right here. the idea i think every song <laughs> i mean i started yeah. with that yeah. that that thing uh what do you call that actually I is think that you, an ostinato I think you is that what you call that came thing? up with both parts on that one right the the at least for that first section yeah i'm right. pretty sure yep yeah, yeah yeah and in fact i think you sent me that in a in a voice memo 
And I was like, oh, yeah, that could be cool. And then if what if we like go to some like super double time weird thing? And then we never did that because it didn't sound very good. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't flow. It didn't flow. flow. Yeah. Yeah. But Um, you you came up with a a great melody for the B section. Yeah. Let's find what I did. Yeah. What What did you do? um, What did you do? Yeah. I I did write the melodies for the B and C sections. Okay. I mean, unless it's just a long B section with two mini sections in it, whatever. Oh, yeah. Listen, I do stuff. Yeah, Chris does stuff. Listener, Chris does stuff. (laughs) Stop saying I don't do stuff. And I'm just going to bust in here. This is Future Hogue saying, I think we're going to call that part one with Matt Reed and Chris McQueen. But come back and join us for part two with Chris McQueen and Matt Reed. The Dream Studios podcast is brought to you by PuppetTelegrams.com. Think of someone in your life. Would they love getting a personalized telegram from a puppet? Of course they would. You choose the puppet. That's the fun part. Will it be Wingo the Bat, lovable and dim-witted? Will it be Lionel the Lion, who is blustery and proud? Maybe you'll choose Layla the Chicken, sarcastic and edgy. Or Vitaly the Monster, an excitable force of nature. After that, you provide some quick details about your recipient to help the puppet telegram be as personalized as possible. It's a quick and easy way to make someone laugh for quite literally any occasion. A birthday, anniversary, graduation, promotion, get well, congratulations, retirement, I miss you, and my favorite, just because. You don't have to be a kid to crack up at... You don't have to be a kid to crack up at one of these telegrams, and the messages can be anywhere from wholesome to edgy and everywhere in between. To get you started, the puppets are giving you a $10 coupon. Just use the code LAUGH, that's L-A-U-G-H, if you decide to order a puppet telegram from puppettelegrams.com.